This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. Mark 12, 35 through 37. And the title of this sermon is David's Son and Sovereign. Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. What would you do if you had three more days to live? While getting the timeline right of the last week of Jesus' life can be hard, uh, most scholars agree that at this point in the text, we're at Tuesday of the last week of Jesus' earthly life. He has three more days before he'll be crucified on a Roman cross. Throughout this day, as we've seen, he's been in the temple, fielding and dominating question after question that the religious authorities thought unanswerable. And the last verse of our text last week said, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, it was time for Jesus to ask some questions of his own. Questions that they wouldn't be able to answer, at least within their current paradigm. So let's dive into our text. Mark 12, 35 through 37. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus taught in the temple. He said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Three short verses, but packed with so, so much truth. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I hope you're not getting tired of that question. It's the most important question that we could ever answer. And it's the question that Mark has been asking and answering on every page of his gospel account. I know it's been a while since we were in this text, but do you remember back in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30? Jesus asked his disciples privately, Who do you say that I am? It was a crucial moment in the book of Mark and in the lives of the disciples. But what he did there privately, he was about, in our text, to raise publicly. He was three days away from the cross, and it was time for him to ask this question publicly. So look where he starts, verse 35. It says, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? What's Jesus talking about here? Well, it was common knowledge that the Christ, the Messiah, would come from the physical lineage of David, King David. So understand that for Jewish people, the kingship of David was seen as the golden age. 
But unfortunately, when the kingdom passed to his son Solomon, even though there were flashes of greatness there, it began to decline. After Solomon, the kingdom was divided between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. The golden age of King David was all but over. But there was still hope. Why? Because God had promised that the house of David would be restored and that a descendant of David would be on the throne. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, speaking to King David himself, he said, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Psalm 89, verses 3 through 4. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Isaiah chapter 9 Verse 2 and 6 and 7, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them uh, has light shone. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, There will be no end. Here it is. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is just a small sampling. This kind of thing is all over the Old Testament. So, Jesus is asking them a question to get them kind of thinking in that direction. The Messiah would be a son of David, a human descendant of King David. This wasn't controversial at all. People believed in that requirement for the Messiah. In fact, the genealogies in both Matthew and Luke go out of their way to show us that truth. Jesus is a human descendant of King David. But there's more. Look at what Jesus says next in our text, verse 36. David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Before we get into the details, do you see what Jesus says there? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared. Then he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. First, notice that Jesus sees the scriptures as authoritative. I don't know about you, but when you're trying to make an important point, you don't quote something with no authority. You don't quote an opinion piece. You quote an authoritative source. Jesus quotes the Old Testament to make a very significant and eternal point. He sees the scriptures as authoritative. And 
His words here tell us that he also believes in the inspiration of the scriptures. And by inspiration, I don't mean just heartwarming. Like, oh, that movie was so inspirational. I mean that Jesus saw the scriptures as the breath of God himself. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. It says this. It says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And here we go. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter, Jesus' disciple, taught about the Bible. Because this is what Jesus believed about the Bible. It was written by men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The words of Scripture are God's words. This is where we anchor the doctrine of Scripture's inerrancy as well. It's without error because it comes from God. So with that in mind, look again at at how our text how Jesus speaks of David in Psalm 110, verse 36 again. Jesus says, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus believed in the authority of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, and the inerrancy of Scripture. And within all of that, he clearly believes that there's absolute meaning in the text of Scripture. He quotes this text to teach an absolute truth. He doesn't say, well, let me tell you what this verse means to me. Or, here's my interpretation of this verse. He says, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared... Then, he states the verse. He quotes Psalm 110. Now, what would you say is the most quoted Bible verse today? Maybe John 3.16, Romans 8.28, Jeremiah 29.11. Well, in the early church, it was probably Psalm 110. It's the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. It's quoted 33 times. They clearly knew this text was important for understanding who Jesus was. So let's go read it. Psalm 110, starting in verse 1. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your your youth will be yours. 
The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. A couple of truths for us to see here. First, Jesus is functioning as a prophet in our text, in in Mark chapter 12. He's proclaiming the word of the Lord and exposing false teachers. But look at Psalm 110 again. There's two parts to it. There's verses 1 through 3, beginning with the words, the Lord, in verse 1. It's all about kingship. There's authority and a rule and a scepter. He's a king. Then, starting in verse 4, again with the word, the Lord. It says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We're not going to go all the way down the rabbit hole here, but here's just kind of a quick guide. Melchizedek, it means king of righteousness. And he comes in Genesis chapter 14. He meets Abram with bread and wine. and He blesses him, symbolizing that he, Melchizedek, was greater than Abraham. Abram then gives a tenth of what he has, a tithe, back to Melchizedek. And that's all we know about him from the Old Testament. Until this psalm. And then we learn more from Hebrews chapter 7. So understand that all the other old, the, the priests in the Old Testament were from Aaron's lineage. They were Levites or Levitical priests. Jesus, on the other hand, came from the tribe of Judah. This is the point that Hebrews chapter 7 wants to make very clearly. That Jesus is a priest, but not like the other priest of Aaron's line. He is of the line of Melchizedek. So, Psalm 110, pretty universally held to be a messianic psalm or or about the Messiah, taught that the Messiah would be a king and a priest. Now, let's go back to Mark. Jesus quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In Psalm 110 and in our text, the word Lord appears twice. But it's actually two different words. The first one is the Hebrew word Yahweh. The name God revealed to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. This is the Lord. Capital L in our Bibles. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh. The second Lord is the Hebrew word Adonai. R.C. Sproul comments here that in most cases in the Old Testament... Adonai is the supreme title for Yahweh. It means the one who is absolutely sovereign, 
This is why we sometimes find the words Lord and lowercase l, Lord, back to back in scripture. For example, in Psalm 8, we read, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. He says this text literally reads, O Yahweh, our Adonai. He says it is saying, O Yahweh, our sovereign one, how excellent is your name. So, in most cases, Yahweh and Adonai are referring to the same person. But, look again at Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord. Yahweh is saying something to another, whom David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, calls my Adonai. David is the king. So who is David as the king calling his sovereign one? In Hebrew thought, the only one sovereign over the king would be God himself. So, in Psalm 110, Yahweh is speaking to someone else who carries the title of God. Do you see where Jesus is going with this? Let's keep going. David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, said to David's Lord, Sit at my right hand. This is the highest place of authority in the universe to sit at the right hand of Yahweh, God himself. Whether David understood all of this or not, we don't know. But he was prophetically saying that the Messiah, his Adonai, would one day be exalted in heaven and enthroned at the right hand of God. Now, here comes Jesus' question from the top ropes, maybe with a slight grin on his face. Look at verse 37. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. (laughs) I'll try to make this question simple. What father calls his son Lord or Sovereign One? No one. Can you imagine that? I mean, I love my boys, but can you imagine? Lord Cruz, Lord Asher, how can I help you? No, that doesn't fly. Not now and definitely not then. Sons were always subordinates in Jewish culture, not sovereigns. For this to work, David's son, who was a human, had to be something more. He had to be divine. He's a son, yes, and a sovereign. 
He's David's Lord. Scribes and Pharisees probably had smoke coming out their ears at this point. But it says that the great throng or crowd, or as the King James Version translates it, the common people gladly heard him. The Messiah that Psalm 110 spoke about would be human and in the line of David, but would also be David's divine Lord. The Christ hymn of Philippians chapter 2 paints this picture so well about Jesus. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, it says this. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here it comes, verse 9. Pay close attention here. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess. What do they confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what the scribe that was asking Jesus last week about the greatest commandment didn't yet get. He knew that he was to love the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He just didn't believe that Jesus was Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's the most concise statement of faith in the unified proclamation of the early church. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Look at what the angel said at the time of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for, I behold, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is Lord. Kevin DeYoung rightly says that if the central confession of the early church was Jesus is Lord, our confession might be Jesus is nice, Jesus is teacher. Jesus is friend. Jesus is useful. Jesus is therapeutic. Jesus is guru. Jesus is motivational. Jesus is entertaining. Jesus is wise. Jesus is unconditional love. Jesus is helpful. Many of these things are true. But as a central confession, they're not enough. Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? 
Well, first, we need to understand that the ability to, to say that truthfully, Jesus is Lord, the ability to say that truthfully is supernatural. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Someone might say, I don't need the Holy Spirit to say Jesus is Lord. I say that all the time. I've been saying it since I was two. Well, Paul's not simply talking here about mere vocalization. To say and believe that Jesus is Lord is an astounding claim. It's about more than just saying it out loud. Anyone can do that. It's about the commitment. Remember, Jesus was fully human. He was a normal guy. He was from Nazareth. To call him Lord and mean it is actually ridiculous. Unless he is who he says he is. So what does it mean to call Jesus Lord? He's the Lord God. He's the Lord God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6. It says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he knows not yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Verse 4, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So, within the context of this eating meat sacrifice to idols thing. Paul is clear that these other gods and these other lords aren't real. There's one God, one Lord, and that Lord is Jesus Christ. You see what Paul's doing there? He's taking the Shema that we talked about last week, Deuteronomy 6, one Lord, one God, applying it to Jesus. Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, applied to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 8. But this isn't the only place. Let's flip back to the Old Testament again. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, verse 18, and then 21 through 23. It says this. It says, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God. 
who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Verse 21, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Remember the Christ hymn from earlier? I'm just going to read the end of it again. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God God the Father. So the, the one God and Lord of Isaiah 45 is Jesus. And he is Lord. Listen, for him to be Lord means that we worship and swear allegiance to him. He gets to call the shots in our lives. He gets to say what's good and beautiful and true. For him to be Lord means for him to be king and us his subjects. Jesus was fully human. To worship him and to swear allegiance to him is crazy. Unless he is who he says he is. To believe that is supernatural. You can only say that in the spirit. Friends, there is not a doubt in my mind. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of the universe. But is he your Lord? I know I've quoted this before, but I'm going to again. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he gives what we call the Lord, lunatic, or liar question, or the trilemma. Here's what he says. I've got a little diagram here as you follow this quote. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, meaning Jesus. He says, I'm ready, or here's what he's quoting, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is Lord. But is he your Lord? There's no sitting on the fence on this one, as you can see from Lewis. Have you surrendered your life to him? And let me be clear, surrendering your life to him It not about earning his favor through doing better or doing good works. That's not what we're talking about here. It's about turning from your sin and trusting in Christ. It's about trusting that the work Jesus did on the cross alone is sufficient to save you. He's Lord. You can trust him for everything. Who is Jesus. He's the son of David. He's prophet, priest, and king. And he's Lord. Let's pray.